Freedom Hut. That St. Louis couple that tried to defend their home, they've been indicted by the prosecutor there. We'll talk about it. Plus, BLM apparently murdered a man in a fire in Minneapolis. The Lib Media rallies to the side of anarchists. A Brooklyn woman shot to death for asking fireworks to stop. And where are you most likely to get COVID? There's a new study that answers the question. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honor and a privilege to have you with me, as always. My, oh, my, a busy day. Let's jump right in. We have this couple. This just came out last night. The McCloskeys in St. Louis. You will remember that they had a mob outside their mansion in St. Louis. Uh, They had a mob outside that was threatening to kill them and burn their house down. The mob broke through a wrought iron gate, was on private property, and were screaming epithets and threats at these two homeowners. Now, the state of Missouri does have the Castle Doctrine. Nonetheless, merely stepping outside on their own property, at their own home, and holding lawfully owned firearms is now criminal, according to the prosecutor, uh, prosecutor, the uh, gardener is her name in this case. Uh, I've got to tell you, it is not surprising at all that this is what's happening, because th- there's a message that comes from all of this. You, you, you need to know this right, right off the bat. You need to understand why this would happen. Um, Democrat prosecutors want everyone across the country to know that you must submit to threats of murder and arson in your own home from a BLM mob outside your door. And if you show any signs of resistance, those prosecutors will weaponize the law to ruin and even imprison you. This is the country you live in now. On the one hand, you have prosecutors like this uh, one in St. Louis, who want to hold those who believe in the right and are willing to exercise the right, the natural law right, I might add, to self-defense, they're the problem. Doesn't want to indict people that were looting and rioting and engaged in arson. And you won't see as much coverage of this story as you should, I, I can assure you. But BLM has resulted in people dying already that's right there has been loss of life because of this movement for justice that we're all supposed to just bow and bend the knee to and beg for forgiveness oh we're so sorry even though now we see the movement is overwhelmingly comprised of white suburban liberal women look at any of the footage you see of these protests and that's that's who's screaming black lives matter at the top of their lungs Cops are racist. What have what have they suffered at the hands of police? No, they've been brainwashed by the liberal media. A little too much time at home watching CNN and Netflix and, you know, eating Cheetos. They're they're not paying attention to what's really happening in the country around them. They don't know enough to understand what's happening in the country around them. So they've bought on to this, signed on to this and bought into mixing metaphors, whatever this. uh 
movement. You won't hear much about this, but, you know, there was a body. This was just in the New York Post. A body found in the Minneapolis pawn shop that right after the George Floyd protests, right? Because the best way it was decided to honor George Floyd was to loot and burn and destroy a predominantly minority neighborhood in Minneapolis. That's what the left thinks. That's what they did. We can now judge them by their actions. It's not just slogans and emotions. What have they done? And as I've been telling you, BLM has made everything worse for everyone. It's really remarkable how consistent they are in that. Nothing has gotten better because of this group. There are no concessions that have been made that make us safer, happier, healthier, better off as a people. For any, for any group of people in this country and for all of us together. But a body was found in this Minneapolis pawn shop. Uh, the way this will be reported on is, oh, we haven't found out really yet what the cause of death is. Um, okay, folks, here's what we know. This pawn shop in Minneapolis was burned down to the ground, and it's now been months after that happened. And investigators got a tip. They found the man's body in the rubble acting on a tip. Now, they say, quote, the body appears to have suffered thermal injury, and we do have somebody charged with setting fire to that place. They said the details are not entirely clear, but there is a police report, uh, sorry, a police news release suggests he died in that blaze in the pawn shop on May 28th. Here's the headline that you won't see that you should see. BLM protesters murdered a man in a fire. Arson resulting in death is murder. They killed a guy. That's right. This is why it's not okay. This is why it's not a mostly peaceful protest when there are people running around lighting buildings on fire. We've seen this for BLM in St. Louis and in Baltimore and in other cities. It's not, it's not just a, a form of, of outrage. It's not a form of self-expression to burn something down. It's a violent act. It's a destructive and violent act, and people can die from it. And this means that BLM murdered a man in a fire. One of the protesters, you know, one of the protesters, the media coddles and Democrat politicians praise, burned down a small business. Um, and a man died a horrible death from it. Mostly peaceful mob, though, we were told by CNN. Mostly peaceful. That's right. Someone died, might, might have actually burned to death. Who knows? Maybe he was incapacitated by the flames and was still alive. I mean, it's horrible. This is, this is the movement. Do you think for one second, if Trump supporters clad in MAGA hats were running around burning down cities, destroying businesses, attacking cops, do you think that they would get an, an inch of forgiveness, an inch of mitigation or downplaying from the media? No, quite the contrary. There would be nightly roundtables on CNN and MSNBC and ABC about how Nazism has come to America and we all need to run for our lives. That's what we would be told. Uh, and elect a Democrat because that's the only way to make things better. Trump needs to be impeached. Let's put a Democrat in office. That's the only way to make the Nazism go away. Meanwhile, this movement has resulted in a number of people dying. And this is this is a murder in direct it, it, that it, that was directly caused by 
a movement that gave individuals, they thought, license to burn and loot and steal and destroy. And yet we don't hold the movement accountable for this for some reason, do we? No, we know that if there was a MAGA rally and one person threw one punch at an innocent bystander, we would hear about it on the news every night until the election and probably every night after the election, no matter who won. You remember that time the Trump supporter punched somebody? Meanwhile, BLM, which is just the shock troops now of the DNC, as I've been telling you, BLM has killed people during their political activities. Media doesn't seem outraged by this at all. Where's fake Tapper and the rest of the journo frauds over at CNN? Shouldn't they be upset about this? Shouldn't they be angry? And at least be willing to say that no one should be appropriating the righteous cause of BLM. Yeah, the lie that cops are killing large numbers of unarmed black men out of racism. That's what the movement is based in. But let's continue to just pretend that there's something else going on here. But shouldn't they be upset that somebody would appropriate? Oh, there's that word appropriate the righteousness of their movement in order to destroy and murder and kill. No, this was always about power, friends. This was never about positive social change. This was never about actual justice. It's about social justice, which we know is not the same thing. Social justice is a fancy way of creating a pretense of moral action for power politics. That's really what it is. Social justice today, as the left practices it, is just about advantaging some groups at the expense of others and creating a narrative where that's not violating equal protection under the law, where it's not, hold on a second, why are people held to different standards of conduct? Why is it when one group does something or another uh, group does something, it's okay, but the same conduct from people that are on the other side of the political aisle is heinous and considered an, an outrage, right? Remember the lockdown protests? Oh, reckless and awful. And then the BLM protests during the pandemic that likely spread the pandemic. Oh, that was worthwhile. Anyone who believes that and thinks that it was really about positive change. If they, if they did it in order to mobilize the Democrat base, well, at least they achieved their purpose. But anyone who believes that the movement has actually made America a better place is delusional or a liar. It didn't make the country a better place the last time. It's not making the country a better place this time. We are seeing a confluence of multiple damaging, uh, damaging threads in this country all coming together. You have a pandemic that is still... Very troubling, killing, uh, killing people who, you know, would otherwise be alive in large numbers and shutting down the economy. It's terrible, right? We have a terrible pandemic. We have a mobilized left wing paramilitary movement effectively on the streets acting like domestic terrorists. We'll talk more about Portland and Seattle in a moment. And what is the response of the Democrat Party and the American left? Make everything worse. Make everything worse. Exploit the situation. Make us all feel more divided from each other, more hateful, more spiteful toward each other, because that's useful for their political ends. That makes us easier to control, and it makes it easier to put the people that they want in charge. This is all driven by an agenda, as you know. But if we're not going to hold movements accountable for killing people, what does that leave open? 
Why is this? Why is this not something that you'll hear about from Black Lives Matter? Well, because uh, you know th- they won't speak out against this the same way they won't speak out against the daily death toll in Chicago and now increasingly in New York that is setting new records and is appalling. The violence in Atlanta, gun violence, almost entirely at this point, minority victims of it. Uh, they won't speak out against that because this movement was never really about fixing anything. It was about who gets to be in charge, who pretends they want to fix things so that they can have their team running things. And that then brings me back to St. Louis. How can any of us be surprised at all that this prosecutor, Democrat, clearly, would take these homeowners and threaten to ruin their lives? I mean, if they are convicted with a, of a felony here, if they're convicted of a felony, that would mean that they can't practice law anymore. They could go to prison for up to four years. What's the damage? I just want to know, what's the damage that they caused? What's the harm here? That's an essential part of any criminal offense. Who is harmed by this? Oh, okay. The prosecutor in this instance wants us all to know that trying to take away some of the threats and coercion at the heart of the BLM movement, that's unacceptable. You exist, your safety, your family's safety, your ability to live in your own home without fear of it being looted and burned and destroyed. That's all by the leave of this movement, because they let you. That's what you're supposed to think all across the country. Sure, it probably won't come to your neighborhood, but then again, the looting came to my neighborhood, stores that I shop in, places that I go, broken in, ruined, destroyed. They want you to know that if you do anything to try to take that power away, if you stand up to the mob, if anyone stands up to the mob, the apparatus of the Democrat Party stands firmly behind the mob. They are on the side of the law-breaking vandals and barbarians here. That's the truth of the Democrat Party. They can try to obscure this in every way they want and talk about historical injustice or whatever. They can talk about all these other things at the end of the day. They want license for people ideologically aligned with the Democrat Party to get away with violating your rights and hurting this country. So in that sense, the St. Louis prosecutor has done exactly what she set out to do. And that's also why she's offered a diversion program for them. She knows that she doesn't want to take this to a, to a real trial, but if she can just get a, a plea down to a plea down to a misdemeanor, it sends a signal to everybody else. Let's ever puts everyone on notice when the mob comes for you, you bow down, kiss the floor and hope and hope they don't feel like ruining you and destroying you that day. Hope that they don't burn down your pawn shop while you're inside of it. If you have a problem with that, well, then you have a problem with the Democrats, uh, Democrats plan to seize power and that they will not abide. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
president. Um, we're, we don't have secretive operations going on. It's very clear what's going on in Portland. It's very clear what's happening um, in Kansas City. Um, but with, with regard to the Insurrection Act, look, we believe that it should be governors and mayors doing what they have the constitutional power to do. The police power rest with them. Um, so it's up to this president whether he ever decides to invoke that. But governors and mayors really need to step it up, particularly in Democrat cities where Democrat streets are out of control. They were just going after White House Press Secretary Kelly McEnany today, the press corps. What's with the what's with the sending in the 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 secret troops and the throwing them in the vents and the arrests? And oh, my gosh, we can't do this. What's happening? They're so worried about the enforcement of law and do not give a crap about the breaking of law. That's what lib journos are all telling you now day in and day out. They are firmly behind, in every way they can be, firmly behind and supportive of the Antifa lunatics, the BLM maniacs in Portland and Seattle who are declaring autonomous zones and burning down federal buildings and toppling statues and attacking cops. I never see violence from these protests. And I I flip around sometimes, you know, CNN and MSNBC, never see violence from the protests shown. I mean, it's become a a really dark uh, comedy. I mean, it's it's terrifying, but also kind of hilarious sometimes when you'll see CNN and MSNBC, they'll have a reporter standing in front of a burning building. Well, it's a mostly peaceful protest. They are destroying property and millions of dollars and they... Hopefully won't kill anyone tonight, but you know, their message is really powerful. Oh, sure it is. Sure it is. They don't want law and order to be restored. If nothing else, because it would be a victory for the Trump administration that has been saying, let's restore law and order. They are on the side of the bad guys. And I said this at the very beginning. I and the president retweeted it. And my oh, my, did that did that mean my my Twitter timeline was very uh, feisty for a few days after that. This only ends when the good guys are willing to use all necessary and appropriate force to stop the bad guys. That's it. Everything else is just noise. Everything else is Democrat talking points or just the open rooting for the criminals because they're ideologically aligned with the Democrat Party and hurting the Trump campaign and hurting American perception of how the country is going, rooting for that side against law and order. The Democrats love this lawlessness. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then the police are afraid to do anything. I, I know New York very well. I know the police very well. New York's finest. And the fact is, they're restricted from doing anything. They can't do anything. So what are you planning on doing? Well, I'm going to do something. That I can tell you. Because we're not going to leave New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and Detroit and Baltimore and all of these. Oakland is a mess. We're not going to let this happen in our country. So, All run by liberal Democrats. More federal law enforcement to some of these we cities? Have more federal law enforcement, that I can tell you. In Portland, they've done a fantastic job. They've been there three days, and they really have done a fantastic job in a very short period of time. No problem. 
They grab them. A lot of people in jail. They're leaders. These are anarchists. These are not protesters. People say protesters. These people are anarchists. These are people that hate our country. And we're not going to let it go forward. And I'll tell you what, the governor and the mayor and the senators out there, they're afraid of these people. That's the reason they don't want us to help them. They're afraid. I really believe they're actually maybe even physically afraid of these people. Everything Trump just said there is true. I would even add to it. First, they are they're anarchists, but they're Democrats. So we could call them anarcho-Democrats, but they are part of the Democrat Party. Make no mistake, they're all Biden voters who are doing this. Maybe they were Bernie voters, but they're all going to be Biden voters now. Trust me. For all their talk of bring down society and kick it the, the pillars of oppression and all this stuff, they're all going to be voting for Biden. Because they know the Democrat Party now has become this umbrella of power for all that is not constitutional, individual rights, Judeo-Christian morality, politics in America, right? That's the Democratic Party. If, you're, if you want to exclude all of that, if you want to exclude objective truth, which is a large part of what we see happening in the, the new left right now, that's their... There is no objective truth. It's whatever they say. This was taught in the schools for years, for decades, really. And it does go back to not just the critical race theorists, but to some of the most prominent philosophers on campus in America who will just say that there is there is no such thing as objective truth. We make our truth. Power determines truth. Right. That mentality. Think about that. That mentality explains so much of what we're seeing now, doesn't it? That's why when I say, hold on a second, black lives matter. Yes, Black Lives Matter. What is Black Lives Matter so upset about right now that cops kill unarmed black men? That's incredibly rare. And everyone in society thinks it's evil and wants to stop it. So what's with all the marches and the looting and the rioting? We're united on this issue. But they pretend we're not because then they have the moral high ground. Oh, you're not united on this. Oh, you don't care. They just move past the discussion phase into the action phase. Action that, as we've seen, cost people their lives. BLM murdered a man in a pawn shop in Minneapolis, and we're just finding out about it now. Died in a fire, a horrible way to die. We're just finding out about it now. This is the movement that Nike and Facebook and you name it, Amazon, all the biggest, most powerful corporations in the world, in solidarity with. In solidarity with it when it kills people? Because it does. That's right. Lighting things on fire, burning down buildings, trashing things, having mob violence where you're kicking and hitting people and throwing rocks at them. People are going to die. That's what's happened already. No accountability for it whatsoever. Media is a joke. As we know, media is all a bunch of propagandists. The same reason that you have... 90 plus 90 99 percent of college campuses professors who are either socialists communists or democrats and really how much difference is there in some ways between them it's not because the only smart people are professors it's because they have a a hive mentality that once they once a few of them get into the place they want to take over the whole thing no one else is allowed to be there they can't handle opposing ideas because their ideas are actually so fragile and contradictory and often absurd and destructive. That's what the left offers you. And let's not think for a second that we have to fall into this false paradigm that conservatism and, quote, liberalism, a terrible word for it, that we should really just reject because they're anti-liberty, as we all see. 
but that the left and the right in this country, they, they both have equal, equal moral standing, equally intelligent claims about how to run a society. Really? Did the Bolsheviks have just as good an idea as those who were true reformers in Russia before the Soviet Revolution? Because there were efforts at reform. Did the Bolsheviks have just as, as much moral authority before they took over that country and enslaved hundreds of millions of people, murdered tens of millions of people, condemned generations to misery and servitude? Were, were their ideas just as good? They just happened to win? No. No, not, not all ideas. Not all sides are equivalent. We don't have to think, well, the best thing is our side and their side meets in the middle. No, the left has lost its mind. I don't want to meet in the I don't want to meet in the middle. I want them to get as little of what they want as is possible because what they want is bad for this country, including the people overwhelmingly who think they want what the left is advocating. Bad for them too. Perfect example of this is what we see playing out in cities across the country. Unsafe streets, spikes in murder and shootings. And remember there's always a ripple effect to these two at uh, these things too for every person who is killed in gun violence, it's gang violence in the cities predominantly. We see criminal violence. There's a family that's shattered. People in the neighborhood will wonder, am I next? Am I safe? Should I invest in a business here? Should I start that small business on the south side of Chicago? Should I start that small business out in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn and New York? Or should I, should I find somewhere else? Been two shootings on my, on my block in the last you know, two months. People make rational decisions in response to this, right? So when you look at shootings and murders, also understand that beneath that, and this is how you have to understand crime in a large city and why what the Democrats are doing is so reckless and evil and wrong. We focus on the murders because that's the one thing that they really can't hide. And it's the worst thing, you know, uh, murders. Uh, that's that's the, the most most heinous crime or the, you know, the most serious crime that the uh, legal code has. But when you go beneath that, when you have a surge in murders, it's not like there's just more people getting shot. But other than that, everything's no. In New York, there's more robberies. There's more break-ins. There's more assaults. There's more, you know, d- uh, theft and public urination and aggressive panhandling. You go down to those quality of life crimes, too that are a plague in a society that is trying to function in an orderly, safe, and happy fashion. I still remember, you know, when I was a kid, we had something in New York called, the, the, they called them squeegee men. That's what they were called. I, I don't think they ever had an official term, but the squeegee men would wait at major intersections. They did it near Times Square. They would do it near the FDR Drive on 96th Street. And I remember being in the car with my family, my dad, my mom, my siblings. And some, some guy would come up to the windshield and would just, and, and it didn't matter if my, my dad would try to, I remember, he'd try to wave them off. No, no, please. No, don't, you know, don't touch my car. Don't do anything. It didn't matter. And they would like smear a filthy rag across, across your windshield, sometimes leaving an actual you know, residue of, of whatever they've been using. I don't know. It's just a dirty cloth that they've been using on car after car. So guess what? It's now just a filthy rag. And, and then they would bang on your, they, they would hold their hand out for money. And if you didn't give them money, you as a little child, like I was, would hear somebody 
you know, call your father a curse word or call your mother, you know, a really horrible name for a woman and bang on the windshield and kick and dent the side of your car. And this was just considered New York, New York in the in the 80s and 90s. That's the deal. That's what you, you know, you think if you call the cop, they were going to do anything about it? No, because the mayor at the time, Mayor Dinkins, was like, oh, that's not, we don't want to live in a police state, you know? So, so what if somebody can effectively hold you up for money and threaten you and uh, attack your property? And you, and there's, what are you going to do? You're supposed to stop at a red light. People say, oh, Buck, you got to avoid, there's nothing you can do. That was a that really was something that everybody knew in this city was indicative of the mindset indicative of the fact that the authorities weren't willing to protect you unless it was the most extreme circumstance and they were too late for that very very little willingness to be proactive you know yeah they'd show up afterwards and ask questions you know who shot this person anybody have any ideas see that's they're too late at that phase Giuliani came in as mayor, dealt with the squeegee men, as well as so many other things. And people became familiar with broken windows policing, and they they understood that it was possible to turn a city around from over 2,000 murders a year to 250, 280. think Think about how many lives that is year in, year out, that you're not losing that you were. And there was there there are all these arguments. I remember there was an argument made in the Freakonomics book that it was abortion that did this bull. That was a that was a horrible lie. That was the argument made in in Freakonomics. Oh, because of abortion, the crime rate has dropped so dramatically. A really evil, evil um, point of view. But anyway, anything to justify the the evils of the left. Uh, no, we learned that it was policing. It was. Let cops enforce laws that we have all agreed are the laws. Let them actually do their jobs and back them up when in good faith they are enforcing the law. It's really quite straightforward. You know, I've got to tell you, there, there was a, a quote that was circulating. If you have never read any G.K. Uh, Chesterton, he's a brilliant writer. And uh, the essays really stand up. But, you know, my friend Sean Davis was sharing this one on on his social media. G.K. Chesterton, uh, Chesterton, quote, every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious things. My friends, we in America are forgetting or being told to forget the most obvious things that we are all held to account and have to be by the law, that the laws must be enforced that those entrusted with that duty are to be, as long as they are operating within the good faith and within the statutes that are currently on the books, uh, they are to be supported, they are to be thanked for the job that they do. Not undermined, not, not defamed, but we are forgetting some of the most obvious things. We're forgetting that hard work and decency and being law-abiding and doing the right thing are to be celebrated, and there is no... There's no historical uh, narrative that can be used to declare that things that are good for all people now don't count. Family doesn't really matter anymore because of, no, these are lies. They are lying to their constituents, but people don't like to believe that they've been fooled. They certainly don't like to believe that they have bought into a narrative that has led them to make 
very destructive life choices. And a lot of their frustrations are a result of what they've decided to do in their own lives. No, much better to have an external enemy, an oppressor, a system that holds people down. The left, the Democrats thrive on this story. And it is it is the root of tremendous misery and uh, and tremendous rage that they are exploiting now. That's what we see happening in Portland, in Seattle, in New York, all across the country. But ultimately, this battle will determine whose country really is it. Those of all races, creeds, ethnicities, religious affiliations, beliefs, so on and so forth, who want us to live in a decent, orderly, fair and just society, or those who think that we can never achieve that until there's sufficient score settling by the people in charge who get to determine what's good, what's not, where merit counts and where it doesn't. What kind of country are we going to live in? That's really the that's really the fight that's underway right now. And I really don't want to live in the country that the left is trying to create. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Portland was totally out of control. The uh, Democrats, the liberal Democrats running the place had no idea what they were doing. They were ripping down for 51 days, ripping down that city, destroying the city, looting it. Uh, The level of of, uh, corruption and and what was going on there is incredible. And then the governor comes, oh, we don't need any help. How about Chicago? I read the numbers were many people killed over the weekend. We're looking at Chicago, too. We're looking at New York. Look at what's going on. All run by Democrats, all run by very liberal Democrats, all run really by radical left. Yep. I love that fact check that the Washington Post did. It's not true that all 20 of the most violent cities are entirely run by Democrats and have been for years and years and years. Only 19 of the 20 most violent cities. <laughs> oh, okay. 95% of the most violent cities in America are under entirely Democrat party control. 95% of the top 20. Okay. So, you know, oh, big fact check on Trump with that one. Um, but the, the libs remain delusional about this. As, as I've said, every, referring to the Chesterton quote, Every high civilization decays by forgetting obvious, obvious things. They want us to forget the most obvious thing, which is that when the criminals can have their way and lawlessness is the order of the day, people who are good people will be fearful and will suffer. And society will suffer. Couldn't be any more obvious. Democrats are all, no, maybe we just need some more social workers or maybe we just, no, no. It's not going to fix the problem. Not right now. Get crime down to an absolute bare minimum. Get it to an acceptable level in these cities and then talk more about how you're going to have a long term plan to make things better. But, you know, then there's the the Mayor Lightfoot approach in Chicago who doesn't even want additional help, doesn't want people to do things to try to help uh, her city from the federal government side. Play 11. We don't need uh, federal agents without any insignia taking people off the street um, and holding them, I think, unlawfully. That's not what we need. If the president is truly sincere about wanting to help, there are a number of things that, that the federal government is uniquely qualified to do that we could use his help with. And they all revolve around the fact that we have way too many illegal guns on our streets. He could fully fund 
the ATF here in Chicago. He could fully fund additional prosecutors to focus on gun violence cases. He could empower the ATF to actually do what they're, they're supposed to do, which is go after illegal gun sales, go after federally licensed gun dealers that aren't doing their job, are selling to people that they know are straw purchasers, that have no intent whatsoever to possess those guns and turn them over in the parking lot to the real person who's going to take those guns. All garbage ideas that aren't going to fix anything. Let's talk about why. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The mayor of Chicago thinks that if only Trump would fund more ATF agents in Chicago, then the gun violence problem would be dealt with. Um, this is is a completely absurd proposition, but it plays to the politics that she likes to talk about. Guns bad, Second Amendment bad, um, Trump doing anything to help, of course, bad. Uh, This is what we know that she's going to say. She might as well have said the NRA is causing all the violence in Chicago. This is absurd. There's no problem with bad people, criminals who want to harm innocents, Getting guns in Chicago. It's obviously not complicated or hard to do. And saying that there's not enough prosecutors for gun cases. I mean, the the laws in Chicago are like the laws in New York. They're very strict on having an illegal firearm. But guess what? The people that are willing to shoot somebody don't care about the enhancement of possession of an illegal firearm. They're going to carry it anyway. And as we know, all they have to do is uh, get it on the illegal market, which is not difficult. They just find somebody that has a hookup and you can buy guns from out of state. That happens all the time. One of the ways the uh, the criminals get guns in New York City, Phil, uh, Pennsylvania has much more lax gun laws than New York does. So you get somebody from Pennsylvania who is able to go in and buy buy guns and then just drives up to New York City and sells them on the street. I, I knew guys, the NYPD, what they dealt with was one of the one of their uh, missions was to arrest those illegal gun sales. But it doesn't stop the problem. No, what's needed in Chicago is far more uh, united and aggressive policing in areas where they know they have particularly high crime. And there needs to be a political will to send in the cops to go after the bad guys. That's it. Everything else is noise. And Chicago has been dealing with this for a long time. But yeah, that's right. Notice how she doesn't want federal agents on the streets trying to help out with the situation. Doesn't want that. Why? I thought that the Democrats loved federal agents, right? The FBI beyond reproach. Oh, the FBI was beyond reproach only insofar as it was useful to pretend that James Comey, the FBI director, wasn't a slimy, dirtbag, Democrat, deep stater. Now, that was an alliteration. But really, that's the only reason they were pretending they loved the FBI so much. It was useful for their anti-Trumpism. Now we look at what they're saying about these federal agents who are, if they're engaged in illegal activity, as Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago is saying here, why doesn't she tell her cops to make an arrest? Go ahead. See how that turns out for you. Try to arrest the federal agent engaged in federal law enforcement business because 
you want to tell your constituents that they can get away with breaking the law. Because it's valuable to the Democrat Party right now. We need to say what this is. I mean, the Democrats are right now at this point in time, not just going soft on crime, some crimes they are in favor of. They are pro-crime under certain circumstances. Destroying public property, destroying statues, you know, breaking windows, looting stores. They, they, don't want, they don't want anyone to be held accountable for that. Maybe they'll have to shut it down after it's gone on long enough. They'll send in cops, say, hey, everybody, disperse, disperse. But they don't want people getting tracked down, going to prison over this. Those are, that's their base. Those are their voters. They can't have that. No, so instead they make sure that the federal government, which, as we know, historically, the federal government has served the purpose of enforcing laws where states decide that they will not. They will not. And whether we're talking about sanctuary cities or now dealing with these mobs, Democrats are once again the party of lawlessness. Or you can believe uh, sitting United States member of Congress, Maxine Waters, who has quite a theory as to what's going on with these federal government uh, law enforcement officers. Play clip eight. And when he tells you he cannot commit uh, to stepping down, believe him, believe him, because I tell you something is going on in this country. When I take a look at what is going on in Oregon and who are these federal agents unidentified in unmarked cars uh, that are raining down on the protesters. Who are these people? Are they organized uh, by and with the president of the United States? Are there more of them? Or are they in practice for what they're going to do when they resist uh, the fact that this president perhaps is not going to be reelected? I think Americans should be worried. But I've thought all along that Americans should be concerned. This is the most flawed character Uh, that I've ever uh, encountered in my life. He's dangerous, and I believe him when he says that he cannot tell us whether or not he's going to accept, uh, you know, if he is not elected. Nothing that Congress, Congresswoman Waters says is considered too crazy for the Democrats. I don't know how else to put it. These are federal law enforcement officers, duly sworn and under the orders of the federal government, who are stopping criminal activity, including very clear federal jurisdiction issues like preventing a mob from burning down a federal courthouse. The federal government gets to do that. The federal government does get to step in. Um, For those who may not know this, when the feds want to, they can get involved in a whole lot of things. Democrats abuse this all the time. Republicans, because we like to try to fight fair on all this stuff, go, well, that's not really the intent of, you know, that's that's an abuse or whatever. Um, The Controlled Substances Act, for example, you don't think of having a little bit of an illegal drug as a federal issue. Yeah, it is actually. Now, I'm not agreeing necessarily that that's the way it should be. I'm just telling you it is. Somebody goes out and sells a bunch of uh, prescription painkillers on the street. Your local law enforcement may arrest you for that and prosecute you, but you are absolutely in violation of federal law and could be federally prosecuted. In fact, friends of mine from the NYPD would talk about how sometimes to help handle the caseload on drug cases, on larger drug cases, the local uh, the local prosecutor would allow 
federal prosecutors to come in and just take a, take a number of the cases off their hands. They called it Federal Day. You really didn't want Federal Day if you were the if you were the person who was uh, the suspect uh, if you had been arrested for this. So now we look at what's going on with these different cities and the lawlessness. There are a, a ton of ways to justify the deployment of federal law enforcement resources, just like when they were trying to destroy uh, in, in Lafayette Square, destroy a federal statute. That's the federal government has the ability to enforce the law and protect its property. Right. If someone tries to go at the White House and starts throwing a Molotov cocktail at it, uh, they don't have to wait for D.C. Metro Police to show up. The federal government, in this case, the Secret Service, will stop that. So Democrats can whine and complain about this all day if they really think there's a secret kidnapping squad that's taking people off the streets and not. OK, tell your tell your law enforcement officers to try to try to affect an arrest and see how that goes for them. Now, I don't want federal law enforcement officers. I mean, I don't want law enforcement officers to get caught in the middle of this insanity. I think the cops would say, um, no, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to try to arrest the DHS officer right now. I think that's going to be uh, counterproductive. And on what charge? You want it, You want to get into it with the federal government over this? I, I know what it's like. You know, I've worked. I worked at the CIA. I've worked at the NYPD. You you really don't want to be on the side of the equation where your local resources are going up against the federal resources. Uh, not not a fight you're going to win. So. And this is also we, we've known about this on the right for a long time because of the concerns of what if they tried to come after all your guns and use federal law enforcement agents to do this? You know, what, where do sheriffs fall that fall on that issue and how would that happen? But it would not go well if they mobilize the ATF, DHS and uh, the various federal law enforcement entities out there in order to seize weapons. Um, that would not that would be a huge problem for the country. But I, I want I want to get back into this issue of dealing with the violence in cities. Another very important other than just the, the lunacy of Congressman Waters saying that maybe these officers who have uh, been arresting looters, rioters, people attack. I mean, there's video of it. You see it. People attacking cops. Maybe they're like the Praetorian Guard of Trump and they won't allow him to leave office. This is just this is just crazy talk. Look, I'm going to say it. If Trump loses the election, I'm sure he'll be disappointed and it'll be a bit of an ego blow for the guy. But, you know, he gets to go back to being a super famous billionaire who does whatever he wants and he'll be okay. You know, (laughs) he's not he's not looking to overthrow the United States government and be dictator for life. I know this is hard for Democrats to hear because they're so sure of it, but he's really not going to do that. And and a a well-adjusted, intelligent person wouldn't think that he would do that. And that then brings me back to Maxine Waters. Uh, Notice that she has a problem with the deployment of federal law enforcement resources and has nothing negative to say. You won't hear Democrats be like, look, what's going on in Portland is a disgrace. About the protesters, that protesters, the rioters, the Antifa thugs. They don't spend their airtime talking about this. They don't say what's happening in Portland and in Seattle is a disgrace to the Democrat Party. They don't stand for this. No, oh, 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 no, not at all. Not at all. So remember that. Remember that they are making decisions with that and showing you what they really believe and who they really support all the time. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And you know what? If Biden got in, that would be true for the country. The whole country would go to hell. And we're not going to let it go to hell. I certainly hope not. President's willing to take action here. And that's one of the reasons the left hates him so much. (laughs) He's not going to sit back and allow this, allow this to uh, continue. Uh, On the other side of this, you have to remember that this is unfortunately all uh, within the Democrat playbook. All the mayhem, all the anarchy, the destruction. They think that they politically benefit from this. Senator Cruz is out there just saying, remember this, folks, that the the angry leftists who came out and, and delivered the House of Representatives, the Democrats the last time around, uh, there's going to be a lot of that this time. Play 18. Let me tell you right now, every one of those crazed, angry leftists who showed up in 2018, they're showing up in 2020 and they're even angrier. They hate President Trump and far too many of them hate America. The left, it's not going to stop at anything to come after Texas and come after this country. And we've got four months to stop a blue wave from destroying the great state of Texas. Texas is in Democrat crosshairs, friends. Uh, some of the polling out of Texas has been far more, uh, far more concerning than anybody would have thought at this point. It's look, it's you're going to have to keep saying I'm going to have to keep saying this. It's early. We don't know exactly where this is all going. But we do need to understand that it's go time right now. I've been thinking more and more about it. I've got friends asking me, Buck, do you think Trump can win? From what I understand, things are looking better in Florida now, which is key. Without Florida, it's all over. Another reason why producer Mark and I might have to move to Florida. But without Florida, it's all over. Um, beyond that, I'm starting to see some movement in the right direction. And I think Trump is getting back into his old groove a bit. I think it's happening. I, I also think that he's going to have to get a lot of help from people out there making the case along with him about what we really face uh, if, in fact, the Biden presidency were to, were to become a thing. It's troubling, as troubling as that is, uh, the Biden presidency could very well become a thing. And that's why the arguments we're having about Uh, What's going on with law enforcement and also with covid are so very, very important. Um, You have these two issues are going to determine because the the economy right now isn't even really uh, isn't normal. It's being the economy is being held hostage, really, by covid-19 and by the Democrat lockdown policies that are still continuing on around it. Um, I I like what what. Kaylee, the White House press secretary, had to say about de Blasio just because he's ruining New York City. Uh, she threw a little shade his way. Play, play that clip. Together to take control of the streets of New York City, where in some places we've seen 600 percent surge in violence over last year. So he thinks they should work together. It's ultimately the power of the, the mayor uh, to enforce and the, the governor to enforce the police power of their states. That power rests with them, but they can partner with the federal government in the event they're unable to control the violence in their cities. And that's certainly what we've seen from Mayor de Blasio, uh, who seems to have um, a, not a hard time criticizing police officers, but 
but an awfully hard time controlling the streets of New York City. Yep. She is. Tell it like it is. It's important for people to hear how this is really all shaking out and what's really happening. Um, Because these are Democrat policies that are having consequences that are resulting in loss of life. People are dying because Democrats believe and insist on stupid things. And that's uh, that's the case here in New York and a lot of places across the country. You know, de Blasio, one of the very specific bits of advice he had given is that he didn't want. There have been these instances of uh, people engaging in, I don't know what you like, fireworks fights, shooting fireworks at each other and, and large numbers of fireworks in these are in primarily black and, and Latino neighborhoods of New York. And there's all this shooting of fireworks at each other and the cops aren't doing anything about it and the the de blasio response to this had been hey you know we don't want cops involved even though this is dangerous even though you get hit with a firework you know you could put out an eye you could get burned really badly you could die now we don't want cops getting involved in this let's just let people have uh their own conversations about this and and ask their neighbors Uh, If they'll stop doing this. So a a woman was killed in Brooklyn just a couple of days ago. A woman was killed. Shatavia Walls. She was murdered um, because she uh, took the advice of Democrat borough president Eric Adams, actually. So he's somebody who works under or works for the city council or the, the whatever a borough presidents like a city like the city council, um, Eric Adams advice. He's a Democrat that New Yorkers have disputes settled neighbor to neighbor instead of calling nine one one when there's all these legal fireworks. Jatavia Walls uh, was blasted eight times according to the New York Post in an East New York housing complex, and she was asking them the people firing these to take their fireworks away from a group of kids playing. And uh, they shot her to death. So she said, hey, can you stop firing the fireworks? The cops are not going to do anything about because de Blasio doesn't want them to. And the borough president says, just talk to your neighbors about this. She talked to her neighbors. She's dead now. She got killed for listening to the advice of elected Democrats who told the cops to stand down. This is what is happening because of Democrat insanity. People are dying. You need to remember that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. But this is a worldwide problem, and we're helping the world with ventilators. We're helping a lot of countries. They don't have ventilators, and we're sending thousands of ventilators to different countries. But I do want people to understand this is a worldwide problem caused by China. But it's a worldwide problem. It is a global problem, and that often gets lost in the effort to make this all about how terrible Trump is. That countries, uh, many countries all over the world have been suffering terribly from COVID-19. Brazil has been having an awful time dealing with this. And when you look at the per capita numbers, uh, we're in a much better position than a lot of the large European countries that would be the closest points of comparison for us in terms of wealth and healthcare resources and, and so on and so forth. 
So that's that's going well. I, I was very interested in a study uh, that was noted uh, at Reuters, the you know big international news uh, conglomerate. Reuters put out this study just what was this uh, today, or was noting this study, I should say, that in South Korea. So look, South Korean epidemiologists. This is not like uh, a country that we would ignore. South Korean epidemiologists and Korea has done a very good job dealing with this disease have, quote, found that people were more likely to contract the new coronavirus from members of their own households than from contacts outside the home. A study published in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on July 16th. So this is a South Korean study published in the U.S. CDC journal on July 16th, looked in detail at 5,706 index patients who had tested positive for the coronavirus and more than 59,000 people who came into contact with them. So it's a big study. All right. And the findings showed, quote, just two out of 100 infected people had caught the virus from non-household contacts, while one in 10 had contracted the disease, had contracted the disease uh, from their own families. By age group, the infection rate within the household was higher when the first confirmed cases were teenagers or people in their 60s and 70s. They said, quote, this is probably because these age groups are more likely to be in close contact with family members as a group is in more need of protection or support. This is from the Korean director of the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Children age nine and under were least likely to be the index patient. So it's very unlikely you'll get this from kids. Um, children with COVID-19 were also more likely to be asymptomatic than adults, which made it harder to identify cases within that group. So kids basically, again, huge study, huge study. Kids don't get this and don't give this to other people. And if they do get it, it's so minor that they don't even know they've got it. 12 and under, you got basically no worries about COVID-19, uh, you know, more so than you would have any worries about any other kind of disease you can get out there that's easily communicable and 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 constantly spreading. So what does this tell us about the fight to reopen schools? Well, as we know, that's all political. They got to keep the schools shut down. If they don't keep the schools shut down, there's the possibility of of a recovery and not just a re- an economic recovery, the recovery of our day to day lives, the recovery of letting us go back to normal life. They, the Democrats, the left can't have that. So you got to keep the schools, the, the schools shut down. Um, but this this study, I think what's even more interesting to me is just that people are so likely, uh, so much more likely to get this disease at home. That answers a very important question. Why is it that even when we had the most draconian lockdown, right, the, the biggest lockdown you could think of in New York, at least in this country, Everything shut down. No one leave your house unless you absolutely have to. While that's all happening, there is still a lot of spread of the virus. Well, as we know, you couldn't have everyone stay. You have essential workers. Oh, that's right, essential workers. Hold on a second. So people have to go and and can go work in grocery stores and drug stores so that society doesn't basically starve and collapse. But teachers don't have to show up and teach. Wow. Well, I just got to say, 
Thank you, truckers, grocery store workers, and first responders, as well as other essential personnel who kept doing their job. We are being told very clearly by the teachers' unions, teachers are non-essential. Non-essential personnel, at least that's their opinion, whether you agree with it or not. I think that's uh, certainly worth, I think it's worth noting in all this. But anyway, I want to go back to the, the household transmission issue. Because we have been told all along that if we only wore masks and do the distancing, everything's going to be fine. Well, no, the most likely place you're going to get this is from another member of your own household. And all it takes is one person in the household who has to go out to get food or to get medical attention to be exposed to this. And then they bring it home. That's where a lot of the transmission is happening. And then everyone in the family gets it. So there is no even under a lockdown scenario where you have people uh, who are, you know, a lot of limitation of which family members are being exposed to the outside world. All you need is one person with outside world exposure to spend time among those uh, back at home. And this is how you're getting a lot of people, uh, getting a lot of people sick with this. That's what the South Korean study says, which is not surprising at all to me, but I do think it's worth noting. So while they're saying, okay, just go out for the essentials, lock down and wear a mask. Well, you'll still be possibly getting infected as the one person who's going out there for the lockdown during the lockdown. And then everyone in your family is is highly susceptible to getting it as well. And that's how a lot of the transmission is actually occurring. So unless you're going to tell everybody two weeks, you cannot leave unless we had a true lockdown for two weeks. You're still going to have continued transmission of the disease. Uh, I did know I did see that uh, that Trump. Uh, Trump is wearing a mask. Uh, he is now, and he said that it's patriotic to wear a mask. And the uh, Surgeon General, I believe, Jerome Adams, yes, spoke on this. Play clip six. Well, uh, I'm a physician, not a political pundit, and it doesn't do me any good to get back and back and forth about the president. What I can tell you is I'm very pleased that he actually is now uh, wearing a face covering. Uh, medically, he's tested more than anyone. So from a medical standpoint, I understand why he chooses not to. Uh, but, but I'm glad that he has said that this is a patriotic thing to do, that supports your freedom. It's something I've been saying for four months All now. Right. <sighs> Patriotic thing to do, support your freedom. I, I I just don't, I don't look, if people want a mask, that's fine. But the pressure to mask, I think, is has gotten completely uh, absurd. And, and I think that the president here is, in a sense, caving to pressure. But, you know, maybe he knows better than me. He's, he's president and I'm not. So I, I'm not going to come down too hard on him for this one. I just know that every time he does what they, every time he does what his political opponents and enemies want him to do. There is a cost, there are consequences, and they're not good. That I do know for sure. Uh, To me, the mask wearing, I I saw somebody today on Fox News, a doctor saying, we now have so many studies and have shown us so much about how effective masks are. All I see are people saying, yeah, I I see experts who say, we think that they work and we, we think it's worth wearing now. That, that's what I, I don't see anyone saying we, we you know, we looked at uh, a sample of 5000 people and did actual rigorous testing with a control group, the gold standard of scientific experiment. And we find out that, yeah, it's really it's it's a, a marked and important 
uh, limitation on the spread of this virus to be constantly wearing a cloth face covering that you can breathe out of and, and, and you breathe in from, that that's really important. I have yet to see that. I might have missed that study, but I've seen plenty of studies that were published before this whole disaster that were saying, look, it, it doesn't really with aerosolized virus, it doesn't really matter. And there, there are concerns that were raised in good faith by medical experts before the pandemic. Because everyone also knows that if we find out that masks really do nothing, if, if that uh, people are never going to trust the medical establishment establish, uh, establishment in the same way ever again. Right. We all know that, too. So there's a real incentive here to be like, oh, no, no, we, we, this is totally this is a great thing. I'm just asking questions, but I wear a mask. Not all the time. I don't wear it outside because that's dumb. But I will wear one uh, when I go to the store because that's what's required. And I, I, I also I don't want to make people around me nervous unnecessarily. So in my whenever I, I'm in a building where there's an elevator, I live in a, in a tall uh, tower in New York and small, small apartment, tall tower. And if I see somebody in there and I don't have a mask on, I'll, I will wait for the next elevator. You know, I'm, I, I try to always be polite about all these things. I don't want people feeling unduly anxious about any of this. But I also think that we need to understand what a mask mandate or even mask social pressure leads to and what that feels like. And it's just it's oppressive and probably worthless for. Well, let's just put it this way. 99% of the people wearing masks are doing so without being sick themselves and assuming that this is giving them some protection from the transmission of this virus. But as we know, it's most likely that they will get the virus in sustained close contact where they're very unlikely to continue wearing a mask. So they're protecting themselves from someone passing them on the street or walking next to them in the grocery store or perhaps sitting next to them on the bu- sitting next to them on the bus. Those are not the high transmission risk scenarios. It's the person they sit down with, take off a mask and talk to for 20 minutes up close or the family members that they're, you know, eating dinner with every night. That's where the real risk is. As we this is established, we know this. So. I, I just I'm sorry, I'm still uh, I'm not I'm not anti mask. I just I have some skepticism in me about how useful this is not for healthcare professionals not for people that are at high risk of how useful this is for the general public i mean i what i would really like to see is an area where there's we, we should take one place where we know that the virus has spread you know one city and do a really rigorous study to show that if if there was let's say 90 percent plus mass compliance then we just then then the cases crater just disappear if that happened, I'd say, wow, OK, maybe why can't we why can't we do this? Why is there no there's really no effort to prove any of this. We're just told do it because because we said so. There's a lot of because we said so going on in the uh, covid measures, anti covid measures world these days. A lot of that, which I find uh, quite troubling. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm focused right now on November. We're going to win in November, and we all should be focused on this. Donald Trump demonstrates every single day, not just that he's incompetent. It's also that he is dangerous. 
Uh, and people are dying because of this pandemic because Donald Trump has not been able to show the appropriate leadership. Our economy is in worse trouble than it otherwise would have been because Donald Trump is in is is uh, leading us in the wrong direction. So for me, that's where this is. So subtle from Elizabeth Warren here named, uh, I believe, Focahontas by President Trump, or does he call her Pocahontas? I'm not sure. That's the president's name for his former uh, opponent and, well, would-be Democrat presidential nominee. So she clearly does not like him, and he clearly does not like her. Um, But she's not being subtle at all, is she? Because Trump. Wow, guys, things are bad because of Donald Trump. I just, uh, we're just going to win and we're going to come back and we're we're going to we're going to help main street cuz my daddy always said main street is the real street where where the dreams come true and and go to elizabethwarren.com and make a donation today cuz I'm only worth 12 million yeah yeah elizabeth warren everybody they wanted her to be president look i'm amazed why they go with biden over warren I really think that, that, that Biden is the, the beneficiary, still the single most potent brand affiliation as a Democrat today is with Obama. No question. And so just Biden being Obama's VP, that was really it. Everything else was kind of noise. And the black community, uh, Democrat primary voters were very comfortable. They liked Biden. And that was really it. You know? Wasn't going to be Buttigieg, for example, whose support among minorities, as we recall, was a zero. Not, they couldn't even register it. It's like in the Nielsen ratings for a TV show and the ratings are so bad that it, they, they just they don't even have ratings for it. That was Buttigieg with minority support among Democrats. Uh, and also uh, Elizabeth Warren's support among minorities, if I recall, was was quite weak. Biden's was very strong. That was the uh, that was the game changer. You also remember the Democrats had this whole about face where it was going to be Bernie who was ready to go, baby, Bernie Sanders, president 2021. Um, and that disappeared because they realized that having an open socialist, they can't give away the game. So clearly having an open socialist was too much of a risk to their party. I don't even Elizabeth Warren as a, as a, a former Harvard law professor who just, you know, what wants to help the working man and woman to care so much about all that and the Wall Street fat cats and the lack of leadership from this president. I've got to say, so many of our politicians are so unimpressive. They're really just, it's amazing, isn't it? What do you think of, these are the people that run the most powerful, wealthiest country in the history of the world. A country that if it really turned rogue and evil could destroy the whole planet many times over. That has you know wealth that would have been unthinkable in the for the any entire world to hold a hundred years ago. Now we've, you know, uh, but we've got Elizabeth Warren calling the shots, calling the shots. That's right. That's that's what we can expect. The Democrat Party. I'm still wondering who Biden's VP. Every day in the story, I don't want to keep doing all the conjecture over who Biden's VP is going to be. Let's just find out. Let's find out. I do kind of hope that it's Stacey Abrams. It's not going to be Elizabeth Warren. It pretty much, for Democrat political reasons, has to be a woman of color. And I, I will refrain from all the jokes that people make about Elizabeth Warren being a fake uh, woman of color. Um, because they've all been made. All those jokes have already been made. I mean, that's at this point now, it's 
amazing that Elizabeth Warren managed to keep it going even after her whole DNA test debacle. That CNN was like, breaking news, Elizabeth Warren is 0.1% Cherokee. Um, but I, I hope it's Stacey Abrams as Biden's VP because I want them to have to defend that choice publicly. The woman who still claims she won an election in Georgia that she lost. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. How insane is the left-wing media these days? And by the left-wing media, I just mean the mainstream media. It's the same thing. The Democrat media, the lib media, the journos. How crazy are they? Well, as you know, even their flagships, their, their most uh, prominent and most beloved organs of propaganda over the New York Times or Washington Post and so on and so forth, they, they no longer even really make a pretense of caring about free and open debate, of having multiple points of view. You can, as they found out, uh, or as he found out, rather, uh, be fired. You can be fired from your job as a well-established editorial page director at the New York Times because you publish an op-ed by a sitting United States senator, in this case from Tom Cotton, you can be fired for that just because they don't like they don't like what the op ed said when the whole point of an op ed is, as we know, to give a point uh, opposing points of view and different points of view on subjects. Um, you can be hounded from your job if you're Barry Weiss at The New York Times as well, because you were hot. She was hired to bring in diverse points of view not just diverse people or diverse you know skin color and ethnicity or anything like that not that kind of diversity diverse points of view and she was constantly ridiculed and and uh under assault from her colleagues for doing her actual job not a surprise right not a surprise okay so she left but are there any limits uh, I, I think it's fair to ask the question at this point. What are the limits? Will they um, abandon journalistic practices, core journalistic practices, you know, source protection? and other, will, will they abandon those things in order to get at political enemies? Or because the woke mob demands it? The answer is yes. And will they abandon common decency, human uh, human honor and obligation to each other and the most essential tenets of being a just a humane ethical person will they just forget all of that get rid of all of that because they find themselves wanting to settle a score with someone ah the answer is yes tucker last night on fox tucker show on fox as we know has been he, he's really been the command center of the anti-mob resistance now for the last two months. Uh, you know, he, he's been holding a very carrying a very heavy burden here and helping out by speaking the truth. Not always saying Trump's doing a great job, by the way, but by speaking the truth, Tucker's been doing a great job. And he does the job that he has so well because he sees it as an opportunity to have a meaningful reach in American public discourse right now and knows that tv is fickle 
and who knows, and things come and go, and he's been in the game a long enough time to know you do the most you can while you can while you're in the seat. And that that has been his approach, not the sort of more corporate-friendly uh, always, or corporate-friendly first, I should say. You know, how does this affect me and my career? He's thinking, what does this mean for the country? Yeah, of course he wants to do a good show, wants good ratings and all that. He's got the best ratings of any cable host ever, ever this last quarter. But the left hates him because of this. We know that. And of course, that's not a surprise. All oh, the left absolutely despises Tucker Carlson, in part because he's effective and makes their lives harder because he's able to counteract their arguments, to counter uh, their lunacy. But also, they, they just hate him on a personal level. They hate what he represents, and they want to see him destroyed. Not, not enough merely to be deplatformed. They want to see him destroyed. Um, I, I will I will just briefly note that there was a lawsuit that was brought against against Hannity uh, that that named Sean Hannity, obviously a host on Premier Network, Tucker Carlson over Fox News and Ed Henry. Uh, Ed Henry's been terminated because there was credibility uh, right from the outset, from what I understand, to those allegations. That's why Fox terminated him. And they've made that clear. The stuff against Tucker and Sean is it, not not only do I not believe it. It's, it's not even real. Like the allegations aren't you read them. You go, what? That's not saying I'm, I'm in the city alone tonight is not an invitation to someone's hotel room for sex. That's not the same thing. That, that's a huge leap that the uh, complainant um, made there. And the one against Sean also, it's just is they're they're both. So I, I don't want to ever think I don't want you to ever think that I I'll avoid uh, I'll avoid talking about conservatives when they get into trouble about things like this. Um, I'll tell you the truth on it. The stuff against Sean and the stuff against Tucker is just bogus. It's just garbage. It's a lie. Or, or you know, or, or this or the aspect of it that may be accurate and it is so mi- minimal and not in any way harassment or that it's like, why are you even bringing this? Who even cares? Right. It's just nonsense. The stuff against San Henry is pretty. Can I read that with the kids around? I, I read the lawsuit. I read the whole lawsuit. Um, Ed Henry. And the guy's got a history. So and I will tell you this. I never I never celebrate. Um, I never celebrate the downfall of of anybody on our side in media. And I, I even am probably more. Um, I'm probably more sympathetic to the other side, even when someone gets it depends on what they did. But uh, I feel like that's a, a basic part of all of us, that, that human sympathy you have for when someone's just getting, you know, going through a really brutal time. Uh, you know, you know, you know what that's got to be like. And, you know, and I, I'll even tell you, I, I felt kind of bad sometimes for uh, really going after Brian Williams. I mean, it was just too funny. And so I couldn't help myself. But when Brian Williams, I mean, that guy. He was going to be the biggest name in news. I mean, he was really close to being that guy, the man. And what a fall from grace he had. There have been others, too. So I, I don't like to celebrate uh, when other people and, you know, when other people are having a tough time. So the Ed, that's I'm only referring to Ed Henry or Sean and Tucker are fine. And it's it's obviously it's ridiculous. Like the charge is not even the charge. The lawsuit against them is ridiculous. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's a nothing burger with cheese against both Sean and Tucker. I don't even think they'll feel the need to respond to it. 
It's like one day, like they looked at me, and I thought that when they looked at me, maybe they weren't looking at me in a in a nice way or something. It's like that level of give me a break. Um, but the Ed Henry stuff is, whew, it's uh, you got to see that. Uh, you got to read it to. I don't know. I don't know that Fox terminated him, and they had already given him one big. He had he had been suspended before for misconduct. So usually I don't spend time talking about this media stuff. It's kind of inside baseball anyway, but. I can tell you is they want to go after Sean and Tucker. The left wants to go after Sean and Tucker with everything they've got, and they'll lie about them and feel good about lying about them. They don't care. They don't care. And then that brings me to uh, that brings me to what Tucker said on his show last night, which is what got me on this rant initially in the first place. Um, that the New York Times was planning. Tucker had to sell his home. He lived in the D.C. suburbs, but D.C. The D.C. suburbs you can walk to from downtown D.C. Like D.C. suburbs are not like in other places where there's real sprawl and you got to drive and it's far. So, you know, an angry mob that's uh, meeting in, you know, near uh, the White House in D.C., they can get to the D.C. and any, you know, they can get to Tucker's house. I, I know basically where he lived because it's been published, his old house. Uh, they can get there in 10 minutes. And it's not hard. So Tucker moved. He sold his house in, in D.C. and he's moved somewhere else. And clearly part of this is the security. He's already had his, well, I'll let Tucker speak for himself on this one. But this, this is all to the mentality of, we're not talking about random left-wing website commentators now. We're not talking about like the psychopaths at the Young Turks or some of these, or, which are just, just bad people, media matters. I mean, just bad people, bad human beings who are nasty and petty and vicious and dumb work at these places, media matters, uh, um, you know, I go through the, you know, a lot of them at the Huffington Post are horrible. So, and then these are people I, I wouldn't want to spend time talking to. I wouldn't want to be around. I wouldn't want anywhere near my life, you know, on a personal level. Forget about even their, their politics. Um, but the New York Times is just as grotesque and horrible as they are now. That, that's the real point here. And, and Tucker talked about this on his show last night. I want to share this with you. Here's what he said they were about to do. Play the clip. Since this show began almost four years ago, I've really tried not to talk about myself on the air or even use the first person pronoun. The last thing this country needs is more narcissism. It's not very interesting anyway. People who use the word I a lot tend to bore everyone but themselves. But tonight we're going to make an exception to that rule. We don't have much choice. Last week, the New York Times began working on a story about where my family and I live. As a matter of journalism, there is no conceivable justification for a story like that. The paper is not alleging we've done anything wrong, and we haven't. We pay our taxes, we like our neighbors, we've never had a dispute with anyone. So why is the New York Times doing a story on the location of my family's house? Well, you know why. To hurt us. To injure my wife and kids so that I will shut up and stop disagreeing with them. They believe in force. We've learned that. Doxing... Tucker Carlson, that's what the New York Times has been reduced to. Now, they claim that they weren't going to do this, but they also gave no more details. And of course, they're going to say that, especially now that Tucker's called them out beforehand. Effectively, and he named names. He named who was involved in the story. So he knew something was up. Tucker had already had an angry mob outside of his house where his terrified wife hid in a closet and called the police. I got to tell you, I, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Uh, but even just the thought of that or the thought of me ever having a family member who felt threatened because of what I do, uh, the, the rage that that conjures up from inside me is almost, in, is almost uh, 
impossible to convey in words. And so I can only imagine, I cannot really feel, but I can only imagine how angry it, would, it should make Tucker that they would go after that people because of what he says politically uh, and he's commentating. He's not a he's not a public figure who has actual power in government. Right. And because of his commentary, uh, they would come after him and threaten him and his family in this way that the New York Times would even consider this. And I'm sure they were going to do this. I, I have no doubt in my mind, based on what we know about the Times, what kind of a place it is, what kind of people call the shots there now. Who really is determining what goes on at the New York Times? Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all that this was the case. It just do doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you the contempt with which there was a time when I first got into media and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to just one day just just to kind of check off the box to place an editorial in The New York Times, The Washington Post, one of these things. I thought about it. Um, now, I don't care anymore. I haven't cared for years, but I, I view it as it's not even I don't think it's of it as a credential. I think of it as. I don't want to be a part of what's going on over there. I think it's grotesque. I think it's wrong. I think these people are a problem. I think you could even make the case, as the president has, that these some of these mainstream journos are, in fact, the enemies of the people. I think that's increasingly clear. So I hope The New York Times does not endanger Tucker and his family because publishing his address, I think what they were going to do, from what I understand, was talk about where he lives in some small town with less than 1,200 people. And from there, you think it's hard for the activist to figure out exactly where he is? I have a friend in media who, you know, he doesn't even want people to know. He doesn't want anyone to know what state he lives in. He's in conservative media. And if you even mention it or anything else, he's like, hey, can you take that out of the segment or don't, don't tell anybody? Doesn't want anyone to know what state he's in. And he's not the first person that's told me that. That's what we have been on the right reduced to now. Not only do we have to worry about the cancel culture and the firings uh, that come from the outrage mob of dishonest idiots that are always oh, he's racist and sexist and all this other stuff. We have to worry about that. We also have to worry about our actual physical safety. No liberal journalist has to worry about that. They all complain about how Trump is worse than Hitler and oh my gosh and fascism. They're not worried about their safety. Conservatives don't show up outside of liberals homes and threaten their wives and children. We don't do that. Libs do that. It's just not the same thing. Our sides are not the same. We are not equal in this regard. They are less than. The libs, the Democrats are less than when it comes to this. We, we just don't do it. There's no equivalence. We don't have conservative mobs screaming at people in restaurants in front of their families because they don't like their politics. You don't have conservative mobs showing up outside people's homes because the mob is of the left. I still think, uh, look, Coulter's best book, and I've She's one of the very few, Coulter, Hitchens, only a few people I've really read all their books. Um, her best book, in my opinion, is Demonic. Really just nails it. What is the Democrat Party? The Democrat Party is the mob, and the mob is demonic. The mob has no morality. The mob has no decency, has no core of ethics. It just is the rage, the emotions, the anger all pulled together. That's what the Democrat Party is today, my friends. We see it in so many ways every day you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast well our message to them is let's get going 
It's over 60 days since the House passed the HEROES Act, which is a strong, bold, and comprehensive uh, proposal to deal with the greatest crisis, the greatest health crisis we've had in 100 years, the greatest economic in 75. And as you mentioned, Allison, the Republicans don't even seem to have their own act together. It's hard to negotiate when the president says one thing, Senate Republicans say another, and many of them are divided. So we hope they're, they're going to be unified and present something to us, present something to us in detail, because up to now they've been dithering. They've wasted 60 days as the crisis gets worse and worse and worse. Ah, yes, the Chuck Schumer version of reality, which is quite different than reality, because Chuck Schumer is an unrepentant and maniacal liar. But, yeah, we're going to have a new coronavirus uh, relief bill coming up in the next uh, few weeks here. Uh, I don't have all the details. Well, we don't know what all the details are yet. Uh, if it, it's going to be it's going to be a few trillion dollars. It's going to be trillions more dollars. I I have to wonder, when do we think that there is a real problem with the spending that's going on? I, I guess we'd say we have no choice. But I, I remember when the national debt was a cause of real concern. And now it's like we're we're seeing how far we can push the national debt before it just implodes the whole economy. I know no one wants to hear that right now, but I, I do think I don't know what I don't know why we, you know we no longer have to worry about that. No one even talks about it. The one big change that I did see uh, is that you're going to go from six hundred dollars in the federal insurance on top of your state unemployment insurance. Six hundred dollars is going to be changed to the uh, to two hundred dollars of additional. Because what they really don't want are people who make the understandable economic, economically sound decision for themselves of, oh, why am I going to go to work if I'm going to make more money staying home and not going to work? And that is certainly, certainly the case. Uh, the the doorways that have been opened here for uh, let's be let's be clear about this modern monetary theory and uh, universal basic income and the most all-encompassing, sweeping government spending and redistribution and socialist programs. I know we're still just trying to get through this virus and trying to get through the, through the election and see what happens, but this whole situation is a socialist's dream, my friends. It is. And we're, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of that for a long time. But I know for now, let's, um, let's uh, see. Let's see if we can just get, get to election day without the economy imploding. Let's hope. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Producer Mark, you think if we play that Roll Call enough, we could bring back jazz flute? Like as a medium in general? You know, just bring back jazz flute. Like make it cool again. Like, like uh, kind of like make Kenny G cool again, but that's technically, I think, the clarinet. I, I don't think that's going to work very well. You don't think we've got that kind of... I mean, it's good for like 20 seconds. It's like cool, but I don't know if people are just going to listen to it. Man, I just want to groove out to some jazzy... Jazzy jazz flute tunes. Then go to a jazz club when it well, opens Well, I again. would, Producer Mark, yeah, but know, Governor I Cuomo know. does not allow me to have any fun. Have some Is Cuomo chips. Is your governor chips. worse? 
Uh, our governor, uh, Phil Murphy, yesterday announced the Jets and Giants will not be getting a waiver to have fans in the stands. Oof. So uh, I guess, is, is he worse? He's about the same? Oof. But what I said is, when did the Jets start allowing fans in the first place? Have they ever? Oh, I don't think sick they have. burn for the Jets fans. For the Jets fans, a burn for producer Mark. Producer Nick points out, um, Kenny G is the alto sax. So. Don't even know what that is. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not bougie like you guys that listen to jazz. So, bougie indeed. Let's go. Let's get to it. Jasper. Hey, Buck, this is Jasper from Colorado. I'm 21. I listen on Spotify every day I work, and I love it. You're the best. Jasper, thank you. I think you're the best. Anyway, I was hoping you could help me out on my lib friends on Facebook who claim President Trump is a rapist and a pedophile because he was close to Epstein. Are there any articles defending Trump? Thanks. P.S. Producer Mark is amazing. I also agree with Buck's opinion on the Karen thing. I think it's idiotic. Shields high. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. So does Producer Mark. And I'll say this. Um, on the Epstein issue, there is so much effort from the libs to try to make it seem like, hey, you know, hey, oh, Clinton hung out with Epstein, Trump hung out with Epstein. No, no, no. Epstein was a member of and hung out at Mar-a-Lago, which is a, a, a country club, a private club with hundreds, if not, I think probably a couple thousand members. So people who come there get their photos taken with Trump, they talk to Trump, you know, it's like. Trump is the maitre d' at a restaurant there. Well, he's the owner, but it's like Trump's the owner of a restaurant. And people show up at a restaurant, they want to talk to you. You talk to them. That doesn't mean that they're your friend. It doesn't mean that they're close. Flying on someone's private jet, 20-some-odd times, 30-some-odd times, whatever the number is, that's a lot of time together, a lot of time talking, spending time together. So Clinton has a much closer familiarity with Epstein than Trump did. And I, and for your friends, Jasper, I would say uh, Trump did not spend as much time with him as Clinton and some of the other named people in this whole Epstein affair. And and I think in, in a lot of ways, it's also important to point out that Trump was one of the only people who took public action against Epstein before everybody knew what a monster he was. Trump was like, you're hitting on a 14-year-old girl, the daughter of a member at my club. You're hitting on a 14-year-old at my club. You're done. You're out. Banned him from the club. This is a matter of record. Said, you're, you're, you're out. That's a stronger action against Epstein than you saw from anybody else in his social circles, okay? So just understand that. Trump was actually like, this guy's a creep and did something about it. And people, Other people around him didn't do anything. They were all feeding at the trough. Wanted to fly around on the jet, go to the island. So and, and just to your friends, Jasper, there's zero evidence of any kind that Trump, he didn't get a massage at any of the Epstein properties. He wasn't going to pedophile island like other people were. Trump knew this guy from Mar-a-Lago where Trump knew hundreds, if not thousands of people. And Trump was like, this guy's a, a creep and he's done and he's dead to me, basically. So let's let's be very clear on all that. Very important question, though, Jasper. And I'm so glad you're listening on Spotify. Look, I find Spotify 
for those of you that use it, it's so easy to listen to podcasts on. Um, of course, so is the iHeart app, the company we work for. But if you're a Spotify person, that's another way to do it. Um, Jeffrey, you see that producer, Mark? I know who I know who home team is. Well done. Yeah, I, I want us to stay employed, so I'm good like that. Jeffrey. Hello, Buck and producer Mark. While I'm not usually a fan of boycotts, I have come to the conclusion that this one may be worthwhile. Walmart has mandated uh, that in order to shop at any of their locations, a mask must be worn. Since most everything on the shelves at Walmart is imported from China, boycotting them is a win-win for Americans in general. I personally will never set foot inside one again. Small businesses need our help more than ever, and I refuse to bend the knee to these fascists. Still out here hauling frozen food through the pandemic to help do my part and keep America fed, holding my shield high and wearing the armor of God. Well, Jeffrey, God bless, man. Thank you for writing in. Um, hmm. So, Jeffrey, it sounds to me like you're saying you want to boycott Walmart because they want people to wear masks and because of, the, of them getting a lot of stuff from China. Now, on the mask part of this, and, and thank you for being an essential worker who's making sure that we... Uh, I'm always stocked up on frozen food. I've lived, I mean, unfortunately, a little too much frozen food. If you see my belly, get in my belly! That's what I say to the ice cream producer, Mark. And it does. It oh. gets in to my belly. We've gotten to that point where you, you've started talking to ice cream. Great. I'm like, guy in, lad, get in the belly. It tastes so good in your mouth, Lassie. Um, anyway, or Lottie, not Lassie. Uh, yeah, where were we? Okay. China. China. Um, probably, the, probably the worst country. Uh, China is... Causing problems for us. Should you boycott a store because they get stuff from China? Hmm. You know, Jeffrey, let me think on this one a little bit. Because I, I see where your I see where your head's at on this one. On the mask thing, I gotta tell you, there's a problem that stores have now with um uh with liability. In fact, producer Mark, do we have uh I, mean, I know we don't usually throw clips in the midst of roll call, but I think Mitch yeah, Mitch McConnell talked about this. Play thirteen. Yeah, tomorrow begins the process of uh, socializing what we've been discussing with the administration over the last two weeks with our members. And uh, if you're looking for a theme here, thank liability protection for those who've been uh, trying to deal with the pandemic. We don't need an epidemic of lawsuits on the heels of the pandemic we're already struggling with. Kids in school, jobs, and health care would be the theme of the proposal that we hope to come together and present to our Republicans. And then as the Secretary of the Treasury indicated, obviously you can't pass the bill in the Senate without the Democrats, and we'll begin to talk to them as well. I just wanted to note what he said, that there's a lot of information there. Hopefully you found some of that interesting or worthwhile. But when he says about lawsuits, we live in a very litigious society. People sue people all the time. And that increases the cost of doing business, increase the risks of doing business, increases the risk and cost of everything. And because the American Bar Association, the lawyers are all so powerful now, we're never going to get real tort reform. It's a shame. You know, I remember when ambulance chasing was considered bad. Now it's like a stepping stone to being president. You know, an ambulance chaser used to be an epithet. And now it's like, eh, guy made millions as an ambulance chaser. Good, good job. Okay. Well, not really. Uh, so, where Bruce Mark? What the heck was I talking about? Oh, Walmart. Walmart. Thank you. Um, but when was the last time you were in a Walmart? 
Uh, a couple months ago, I needed okay, something. So I regretted recent. it. You know, because uh, I've been in Walmarts uh, a lot when I lived outside of New York. So, you know, when I and when I've traveled and when I've spent time at. Uh, well, I could always, I guess, go to the, uh, you know, on base store as well. But when I've spent time in U.S. military bases, I've, I've spent time. I've gone to Walmarts. Then I'm just thinking off the top of my head when I've been to Walmarts because they don't really have one. in it. There's one in D.C. I used to go to all the time. So when I lived in D.C., I was constantly going to Walmart. It's just amazing. That's kind of what I was going to get. I mean, the fact that there's so much stuff in these stores you can get. You can walk into a Walmart and basically if you had a home that was bare walls, bare floors, get everything that you need for the home, everything you need for your clothing and all the food you need too, and never leave that store. Right? Target is much better. Well, Target is very yeah. fancy. Target yeah. is just higher quality Walmart. Walmart's fine, but, you know, I like Target. Yeah. Look, I, I remember I used to get a great deal on my chicken, on my uh, gluten-free chicken nuggets at Walmart, actually. Much I cheaper like than at Whole Foods. And the same, same brand, too. Much cheaper. For some reason, when you go into Walmart, people just lose all sense of other people being around them. They just have no more manners left. Like people become wild animals at, at Walmart for some reason. What wasn't the guy who was like, "I'm I'm afraid. You're you're making me afraid." No, that was, was Costco. At, that was a Walmart. That right? was Costco. Oh, where do we put? What's what's the vibe? I will t- I haven't been to a Costco in a, a decade plus, probably. What's the vibe at Costco? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a member, but I do use BJ's occasionally. Uh, there's a lot of people around. You just buy a lot of stuff. That's what those stores are good for. You obviously probably don't you wouldn't use them because you live in a small Manhattan apartment. Yeah, no, I, I don't have a place to put the two rolls of toilet paper that I have already. Never mind storing a hundred rolls of toilet paper that I would buy uh, at a Costco. I, I used to go to a store when I visit my grandparents at a place in the Hudson Valley. That was where I spent summers for 20 years. And we used to go to a store. I don't even know if it exists anywhere else or. We used to go to a, it was it was kind of like a Walmart. It was called Ames. You ever, you ever heard of that? I think I have heard of that. Mem- that might be an upstate New York thing. I don't even know if it still exists. Does it still exist? Uh, I don't know. I'm googling it. Are there any Ames stores left? Oh no! <laughs> Whoops! Ames is donezo. In November 2000, Ames closed 32 stores, 31 of them being newly acquired, and. Uh, Ames closed 54 additional stores 2000. No, Ames is gone. So Ames lost the uh, war with Walmart, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. It was based in Rocky Hill, Connecticut, founded in 1958. Well, wow, I'm learning all. That's where that was my Walmart growing up. Uh, we used to go to Ames all the time and get, you know, everything from weed whackers to socks to all kinds of stuff. Maybe so. that's where uh, Walmart and Target got the ideas. Hmm. Oh, I was talking about masks, though. So masks, uh, it's a liability issue for the stores. That's what I was trying to say. So that's why I, I, I try to be understanding when stores say wear a mask, because right now everyone's so freaked out and you don't want lawsuits over masks. So there you go, Jeffrey. That's an important part of this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call coming to us courtesy of Tim. What a buck. You're killing it with your character voices, man. I love it, especially your German guy voice. Hello, guten Tag, Tim. Very good to hear from you, yeah. Perhaps we can send you some Lederhosen. 
Perhaps producer Mark can lend you his lederhosen. Do you even have lederhosen, producer Mark? Is a lederhosen. I'm going to let you Google that one, and then you can get a pair of for yourself to wear on the street. It's very fancy looking. Yeah, I will not be wearing that anytime soon. <laughs> Producer Mark wearing lederhosen is my favorite new meme. I don't know. Someone's got to send that send that one in. But you guys don't know what he looks like, so I guess we can't really. Yeah, do that. I mean, first procuring a picture of me would be interesting, and then yes, doing yes. that, I'd have to oh, be I'm in the sure right clothes. Could do it though, which would actually kind of freak me out. I, I'm sure I they don't probably, want them to. Please don't. Yeah, they could probably get our you know first grade report cards if they if we really put them to it. So I don't need that. I don't need that to happen. Um. Anyway, Jeremy. Oh, and, and of course, your Hillary Clinton. Ow, ow. Every time you say that, I imagine her head quickly poking out from behind a door or chair saying hello and quickly ducking back where she came from. I told my dad in Auburn, California, about your show. He's an army veteran and a retired peace officer of 32 years, and he loves it. He's on Team Buck. Shield time, man. Tim, thank you so much. Big shout out to you for passing the buck to your dad. We really, really appreciate it. It means so much to us here. And, and thank you for that. Also, tell him thank you for his service uh, in two different capacities. So as for uh, character voices, yeah, man, look, I try to I try to make the show as fun and listenable as I can every day. And, I, and I, when I'm enjoying it, I, I hope the audience is enjoying it, too. And a part of that is is, uh, you know, having some fun with this stuff. So there you have it. And the part of that is going, oh, Hillary's running again. You know, sounds nothing like Hillary Clinton, but everyone kind of knows it captures Hillary's essence. Where is Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren? It it, it, it sounds almost sounds like her, you know. Oh oh, I, I was I grew up. I, I was told I had high high cheekbones, and so that's where the whole oh oh that's where the whole I, I'm a, a part Native American, cause, cause that's what I was told growing up. Oh yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Warren. There you go, Greg. Hey Buck. Hello from Denver again. I am angry. I'm not sure what is worse, radical left Democrats or Republicans that talk a big game but never deliver because they have no freaking marbles when it comes down to the nitty gritty. They only support Trump when he's doing well in the polls. Such a bad move. Also, one more thing. You always talk about how Democrats are making our lives and the economy miserable to get Biden elected. Are potential Trump voters really that dumb to not see what's going on with this? American voters can't be that dumb. Can they? Shields high. Well, Greg, I don't think that Trump voters will see it that way, but you got to think about how it looks to somebody, somebody who's not, you know, reading about politics every day, who just is looking at their paycheck every two weeks coming in from, you know, the, you know, from the company they work for, the store they work in, and they're seeing, you know, their health care uh, costs and trying to pay their rent, and they look around and say, well, what's going on in the country? Now, this this boils down to that most Basic question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And if Democrats make everyone miserable for somebody who doesn't pay attention to the fact that Democrats are making us more miserable, they're not going to be held responsible for it. Trump, by that swing voter, is perhaps going to be held responsible. That's the plan. That's why the Democrats really do want to make America miserable again. That's what they really believe in. And I think you're completely right about Republicans that only support Trump when he's kicking butt and unstoppable. And now a lot of them are they're not they haven't turned on him. That's not true. But they're they're sitting on the fence a bit. They're wondering, you know, what's the new establishment? What's the new order going to be if Trump loses? I don't want to go too all in on the Trumpster right now, especially when the left is looking to just rack up the, the cancel count, so to speak, 
uh, against us. Oh, well, we got more roll call, but we've got to get to it tomorrow. Make sure you call in 844-900-2825. Leave us a voicemail. Producer Mark loves that. Pass the buck to someone. Check us out on BuckSexton.com. More tomorrow. Shields high.